says Omicron cases continue to drop fast in our area. Changes are coming. Chicago's top doctor, Allison Arwoody, says the city's mask requirement could be rolled back by the end of the month. I want people to understand that when we're talking about lifting masks, when we're talking about lifting mitigations, it's about getting down to a point where the risk of it being exposed to somebody who currently has COVID-19 and could be spreading COVID-19 is relatively low. Meanwhile, a bipartisan group of state lawmakers has stopped Governor Pritzker from reintroducing a mask mandate for schools. And new prescription drugs are hitting the market to treat COVID. We're going to cover these stories with three journalists, starting with WBEZ Metro reporter Adora Namigade. Welcome to Reset, Adora. Hey, Sasha. So Dr. Arwady outlined four metrics that must reach low transmission before uh, Chicago can consider lifting the mask mandate. So can you just walk us through what these metrics are? Yeah, absolutely. So four metrics. One of them is the number of COVID-19 cases diagnosed per day. The next one is test positivity. Then the number of non-ICU hospital beds that are occupied by COVID patients. And lastly, ICU beds occupied by COVID patients. And so where does Chicago stand when it comes to these metrics? Okay, so just today, um, we moved from the number of COVID-19 cases diagnosed per day. We moved from high transmission. Yesterday, we were at 431 to 398. So now we're in substantial transmission for that. Okay. Um, test positivity, we're at 2.9%. So that is the one metric where we measure in lower transmission. Um, and then the other two were still in substantial with hospital beds, both non-ICU and ICU. So overall, it sounds like we are trending in, in the right direction. Right? Yes, and that's... Yeah, sorry? Is that right? We are trending in the right direction? Yeah, absolutely. We're going in the right direction, and that's why I think there's this big buzz, right? Um, People are looking forward to the mask and vaccination mandates possibly being lifted, and the numbers are moving in the right direction for that to happen. Were you surprised at all by our current numbers? Um, Right now, honestly, it's been kind of trending in the right direction for the past few weeks. I listened to... Dr. Arwady's press conferences at least once a week. And so these numbers are, they're, they're going well, and they have been going well for a few weeks. Well, the mayor says that Chicago's not there yet in terms of, of course, removing that mask mandate. Uh, but Governor Pritzker does want it gone by the 28th. So based on what we're hearing from Dr. Arwady, Adora, what do you think will be the state of the mask mandate come the end of this month? You know, I really think it's going to be a day-by-day thing. Dr. Arwady definitely said she was committed to listing the mandates, um, but that she couldn't tell right now. So yesterday during her 1 p.m. press conference, she said that she couldn't really guarantee February 28th, but that she thought if it wasn't by February 28th that we hit the metrics that she wants to see, we would at least see those mandates come up a few days afterward, maybe. Will this be the same for the vaccination cards? She was talking about both vaccination and masks. All right, well, lots to keep your eye on there. That's WBEZ reporter Adora Namigade. Thank you, Adora. Yeah, you're welcome. Now we'll pivot to a story out of Springfield. Democratic and Republican state lawmakers, they don't typically see eye to eye. But yesterday, a handful of Dems joined the GOP in agreement on one thing. Governor Pritzker can't enforce mask requirements in schools. Here with the details is Chicago Tribune state government reporter Dan Petrella. Hey, Dan, thanks for being with us. Glad to be back. So what exactly happened yesterday? 
So this is sort of in the inner workings, the deep end of the weeds of state government. But um, the Department of Public Health had issued an emergency rule back in September that sort of laid out all of the requirements and guidelines for masks in schools, along with the um, vaccination requirements for teachers and the, the exclusion protocols, how um, students and staff have to stay out of school for a certain amount of time if they've um, had a positive test or, or come in close contact with someone uh, who did. That rule expired on Sunday night. On Monday, the Department of Public Health um, reissued the rule, trying to tweak it in light of the recent court ruling um, out of Springfield that has sort of thrown the school mask situation into chaos over the last couple of weeks. But a committee called the Joint Committee on Administrative Rules, which is um, made up of an equal number of Democrats and Republicans from each chamber of the legislature, voted to block that rule from going into effect because of um, the pending appeal of, of that lower court decision. Um, so there is still an executive order from the governor in place saying that people should be wearing masks in schools, but the actual rules for how that all is supposed to work um, are now not in effect mm. as we speak this morning. And this applies to every school in Illinois? Um, yes. Yeah, so, and that's, you know, there's a lot of uh, confusion and, and not a lot of clarity over all of this. But, um, yeah, as, as we stand right now, that rule is um, not in effect. So districts are trying to figure out what they should be doing, whether they should still be requiring masks. There have been reports of some that were still requiring them that are now going optional. Um, and then the appellate court could rule on um, the judge's temporary restraining order as soon as um, within the next couple of days. Mm-hmm. How common is this, what we're seeing now, Dan, uh, Democrats breaking rank with the governor? Um, you know, it happens from time to time on certain issues. I think there's been one or two vetoes of his that they've overridden. Um, in general, you know, they've kind of stuck by his side for for most of the pandemic and how he's dealt, thing, dealt with things. You know, there's been some grumbling from Democrats all along about how the legislature could be more involved here or there. But Largely, it's been uh, Republicans who are in the super minority in both chambers that have been um, sort of on the megaphones screaming throughout most of the time that the governor has been going it alone and and doing all this stuff without input from the legislature. How's the Illinois Department of Public Health responding? Um, You know, they've been been kind of quiet so far since since the hearing yesterday where the rule was blocked. Um, They defended it, saying that they were just trying to provide clarity for for school districts while this case is going on, um, you know, one of the the weird things about it is that um, the judge's ruling only supposedly applied to a certain set of school districts who are defendants in these lawsuits. But then she said in a footnote that, uh, you know, I'm making this rule null and void, so other districts should govern themselves accordingly, which kind of is why you've seen this conflicting reaction from different districts across the state. And what about the governor? What are we hearing from him right now? Well, he is actually uh, at a public appearance in Springfield right now. Um, he didn't address it when he was out in public. Um, before the decision yesterday, a spokeswoman for his office said that he understands that the, the legislators on this panel want to wait to see what the um, what the appellate court decides, but is encouraging people to continue wearing masks in schools. Well, before I let you go, Dan, just so we're clear, when is it that we'll know some more on this? Um, that is an open question. I think the soonest that the appellate court could decide um, is within the next couple of days, um, although they did ask 
the state and the plaintiffs in those lawsuits to um, file briefs today explaining how this latest action um, by the, the legislative panel affects the issues um, in the appeal. So we'll see their arguments on that today. And then hopefully for everyone's sake, the appellate court will, will make a determination within the next few days. That was state government reporter Dan Petrella from the Chicago Tribune. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. Let's hear now from WBEZ reporter Kristen Schorsch to give us all the details on new COVID fighting drugs. Hi, Kristen. Welcome back. Hi. Thanks for having me. So what are some of these current prescriptions that are out there to fight COVID? Yeah. Um, Well, I would divide them into kind of buckets. You've got pills, you've got injections, you've got infusions you get through an IV. Um, But essentially, these are drugs that people take to prevent them from if they get COVID, taking very early in their disease so they don't end up in the hospital, or um, if they're severely immunocompromised, you take this now so you don't get COVID. Um, You know, these, most, a a lot of these drugs that are being commonly, you know, used and talked about have, were just given emergency use authorization in December. Mm -hmm. Um, Another one has been around, but there were so many other drugs that were working. I'm talking about citrobimab, it's an IV infusion. Um, But then when those other drugs stopped being effective against Omicron and really didn't work, then citrobimab was really big in demand. Uh, I think a lot of patients don't know about these drugs yet. Right. So, you know, that's that's kind of a PSA from providers is, hey, we didn't really talk a lot about these six weeks ago because we didn't really have a lot of it. And now that Omicron has faded and we have this supply, we want people to know if you get COVID, call your doctor immediately because the window to take some of these drugs is very small, like within five days for oh, them I to see. work. Yeah, I, it wasn't until reading your story, Kristen, that I learned about half of these drugs. So what difference... Me too. <laughs> right. What difference would you say that these drugs are making in, in COVID recovery processes? I think it's really hard to say because, you know, the state's not even tracking who is getting these drugs, the patients, right? Um, a lot of some providers are not either. You know, and also the access issues about even having these drugs available. You know, the state is in charge of the supply that they get from the federal government. And so the Illinois Department of Public Health asks providers, do you want some of these drugs? And providers have to say, you know, they have to request them and say yes to get shipments. Um, And if you look on a map on IDPH's website, which we've also put in our story online, um, it's, it's very stark. There are dozens of counties with no providers who have any of these outpatient drugs. Now, I will say their caveat is that providers can share extra doses and the state's encouraging that. And I know some hospitals are doing that. Um, So, you know, it can be a little misleading if you think, hey, this one hospital is getting like X amount of, you know, citrobimab infusion doses. They could be sharing those. Mm. Um, But to the public eye, it looks like, you know, a, a really good chunk of the state, especially central and downstate Southern Illinois are, have no access. I see. Yeah, well, clearly supply for these drugs is is limited. Uh, mm-hmm. I understand not only high-risk people are getting them. Right. Well, so it is for high-risk people. That means several things. That means people who aren't vaccinated. That means people who are elderly. That means people who are immunocompromised. Um, people who may have gotten you know vaccinated and boosted, but because of other health issues they have, you know, they're not generating an antibody response. Their vaccines aren't working. And so these drugs are meant for the most severely ill, 
you either, you know, to, to take it very early on in your disease or to take it um, on a preventative side, you know, but to not even get COVID. Um, and, you know, you have to qualify. There's like a, a slim window of people who qualify for this. But, you know, on the other end, patients also have to know this is even available for them. Mm-hmm. So there's just this, there's this education component too. Yeah. Well, between the pills and, and the IV, Kristen, is there a preferred method? I think that depends on the patient and the conversation with their doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm sure a lot of people have heard about Paxlovid. So these are, are pills that are very effective, but they interact with a lot of other drugs that people might be taking. So if you got a transplant, um, your doctor might still prescribe this, but they might say, hey, let's cut back on your immunosuppressant drugs that you're taking now. Um, or it might be too dicey for you to take this. Um, and then there are other options, like maybe you then go and get citrobimab, which is the IV infusion. So I think it's really a case-by-case basis, a conversation between a patient and their doctor, depending on their health issue. Um, but yeah, we don't really know because we don't know who's taking them mm-hmm. at all. We don't have a sense of how effective they are um, or what people's issues are like with you know, getting them. What else would you say we still just don't know at this point about these drugs? Um, well, I mean, I think, you know, keeping, you know, keeping tabs on who is getting them is really important. Also, which providers are getting them, you know, just in terms of the access to patients. And I'm interested in why some providers aren't wanting them. You know, I know that there are some providers who aren't requesting them. And, you know, we saw when the vaccine rollout came, there were a lot of reasons that some providers didn't want vaccines, like they didn't have the resources, meaning staff, money, just a waiting area for people to wait, you know, 15, 30 minutes after they get their vaccines. Mm. Um, And so I wonder if that's the case maybe with some providers, you know, especially in more rural areas where, you know, maybe there are some other issues that I'm I'm not aware of. But um, I did talk to a lot of doctors and people around the state for the story. And a lot of doctors in rural areas were like, we really want more of these medications because where else are our patients going to go to get them? And did you talk to patients too? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we featured um, this woman named Josefina Andrade, who I think is a really good example of, of someone. She um, is 42, lives in Gage Park, has diabetes, which puts her at a higher risk um, you know, of, of getting hospitalized. She had COVID last month, and it was really interesting. She wasn't allowed to you know, go to the clinic in person because she called and said, hey, I think I have, you know, I've, I've got these symptoms. And they're mm-hmm. like, well, you have COVID. So she went and got tested and then was very persistent with her doctor and messaged him and said, hey, I'm, I'm sick. I'm not feeling well. He scheduled a telehealth visit and prescribed this Paxlovid, which she'd never heard of. And she said that her friends, like we were talking about this, right? Like I asked, hey, who else knows about these drugs? And she said, I don't know anyone. Like my friends who've gotten COVID, no one knew that these therapies existed. And I think that that is a big Um, And it's a big message for people is that, you know, you have such a short window in which these drugs can help you, you know, but I think the other thing is this is also just another healthcare access issue. If you don't have a doctor, and there are a lot of people who don't have a doctor, where do you go? Who do you call? Because if you only have five to 10 days to get a pill or an infusion for it to work, you know, we're not reaching those people who then might end up in the hospital. Because, you know, this same group of people, immunocompromised, for example, are still at high risk for getting COVID and getting hospitalized, even if Omicron has faded, right? Correct. Yeah. Very interesting. That's WBEZ's own Kristen Shores. Thank you for being on the program, Kristen. 
Sure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We've got more for you on the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.